Chapter Eleven of The Girl from Montana by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven, in flight again. When Elizabeth lay down to rest that night, with Lizzie still chattering by her side, she found that there was one source of intense pleasure in the anticipation, and that was the prospect of going to God's house to Christian endeavor. Now, perhaps, she would be able to find out what it had all meant and whether it were true that God took care of people and hid them in time of trouble. She felt almost certain in her own little experience that he had cared for her, and she wanted to be quite sure, so that she might grasp this precious truth to her heart and keep it forever. No one could be quite alone in the world if there was a God who cared and loved and hid. The aunt and the grandmother were up betimes the next morning, looking over some meager stores of old clothing, and there was found an old dress which it was thought could be furbished over for Elizabeth. They were hard-working people with little money to spare, and everything had to be utilized, but they made a great deal of appearance, and Lizzie was proud as a young peacock. She would not take Elizabeth to the store to face the head man without having her fixed up according to the most approved style. So the aunt cut and fitted before she went off for the day, and Elizabeth was ordered to sew while she was gone. The grandmother presided at the rattling old sewing machine, and in two or three days Elizabeth was pronounced to be fixed up enough to do for the present, till she could earn some new clothes. With her fine hair snarled into a cushion and puffed out into an enormous pompadour that did not suit her face in the least, and with an old hat and jacket of Lizzie's, which did not become her, nor fit her exactly. She started out to make her way in the world as a saleswoman. Lizzie had already secured her a place, if she suited. The store was a maze of wonder to the girl from the mountains. So many bright, bewildering things, ribbons and tin pans, glassware and toys, cheap jewelry and candies. She looked about with the dazed eyes of a creature from another world. But the manager looked upon her with eyes of favor. He saw that her eyes were bright and keen. He was used to judging faces. He saw that she was as yet unspoiled, with a face of refinement far beyond the general run of the girls who applied to him for positions. And he was not beyond a friendly flirtation with a pretty new girl himself. So she was engaged at once and put on duty at the notion counter. The girls flocked around her during the intervals of custom. Lizzie had told of her cousin's long ride, embellished wherever her knowledge failed, by her extremely wild notions of Western life. She had told how Elizabeth arrived wearing a belt with two pistols, and this gave Elizabeth standing at once among all the people in the store. A girl who could shoot, and who wore pistols in a belt like a real cowboy, had a social distinction all her own. The novel-reading, theater-going girls rallied around her to a girl, and the young men in the store were not far behind. Elizabeth was popular from the first. Moreover, as she settled down into the routine of life and had three meals every day, her cheeks began to round out just a little, and it became apparent that she was unusually beautiful, in spite of her dark skin, which whitened gradually under the electric light and high-pressure life of the store. They went to Christian Endeavor, Elizabeth and her cousin, and Elizabeth felt as if heaven had suddenly dropped down about her. 
she lived from week to week for that Christian endeavor. The store, which had been a surprise and a novelty at first, began to be a trial to her. It wore upon her nerves. The air was bad, and the crowds were great. It was coming on toward Christmas time, and the store was crammed to bursting day after day and night after night, for they kept open evenings now until Christmas. Elizabeth longed for a breath from the mountains, and grew whiter and thinner. Sometimes she felt as if she must break away from it all, and take Robin and ride into the wilderness again. If it were not for the Christian endeavor, she would have done so, perhaps. Robin, poor beast, was well housed and well fed, but he worked for his living as did his mistress. He was a grocer's delivery horse, worked from Monday morning early till Saturday night at ten o'clock, subject to curses and kicks from the grocery boy, expected to stand meekly at the curbstones, snuffing the dusty brick pavements, while the boy delivered a box of goods, and while trolleys and beer wagons and automobiles slammed and rumbled and tooted by him, and then to start on the double-quick to the next stopping place. He, to be thus under the rod, who had trod the plains with a free foot and snuffed the mountain air. It was a great come-down, and his life became a weariness to him. But he earned his mistress a dollar a week, besides his board. There would have been some consolation in that to his faithful heart, if he only could have known it. Albeit she would have gladly gone without the dollar, if Robin could have been free and happy. One day, one dreadful day, the manager of the ten-cent store came to Elizabeth with a look in his eyes that reminded her of the man in Montana from whom she had fled. He was smiling, and his words were unduly pleasant. He wanted her to go with him to the theater that evening, and he complimented her on her appearance. He stated that he admired her exceedingly and wanted to give her pleasure. But somehow Elizabeth had fallen into the habit ever since she left the prairies of comparing all men with George Trescott Benedict. And this man, although he dressed well and was every bit as handsome, did not compare well. There was a sinister, selfish glitter in his eyes that made Elizabeth think of the serpent on the plain just before she shot it. Therefore Elizabeth declined the invitation. It happened that there was a missionary meeting at the church that evening, all the Christian endeavorers had been urged to attend. Elizabeth gave this as an excuse, but the manager quickly swept that away, saying she could go to church any night, but she could not go to this particular play with him always. The girl eyed him calmly, with much the same attitude with which she might have pointed her pistol at his head, and said gravely, But I do not want to go with you. After that, the manager hated her. He always hated girls who resisted him. He hated her, and wanted to do her harm, but he fairly persecuted her to receive his attentions. He was a young fellow, extremely young, to be occupying so responsible a position. He undoubtedly had business ability. He showed it in his management of Elizabeth. The girl's life became a torment to her. In proportion, as she appeared to be the manager's favorite, the other girls became jealous of her. They taunted her with the manager's attentions on every possible occasion. When they found anything wrong, they charged it upon her, and so she was kept constantly going to the manager, which was perhaps just what he wanted. She grew paler and paler, and more and more desperate. She had run away from one man. She had run away from a woman. 
but here was a man from whom she could not run away unless she gave up her position if it had not been for her grandmother she would have done so at once but if she gave up her position she would be thrown upon her grandmother for support and that must not be she understood from the family talk that they were having just as much as they could do already to make both ends meet and keep the all-important god of fashion satisfied this god of fashion had come to seem to elizabeth an enemy of the living god it seemed to occupy all people's thoughts and everything else had to be sacrificed to meet its demands she had broached the subject of school one evening soon after she arrived but was completely squelched by her aunt and cousin you're too old sneered lizzie school is for children lizzie went through grammar school and we talked about high for her said the grandmother proudly but i just hated school grinned lizzie it ain't so nice as it's cracked up to be just sit and study all day long why they were always keeping me after school for talking or laughing i was glad enough when i got through you may thank your stars you didn't have to go bess people who have to earn their bread can't lie around and go to school remarked aunt nan dryly and elizabeth said no more but later she heard of a night school and then she took up the subject once more lizzie scoffed at this she said night school was only for very poor people and it was sort of a disgrace to go but elizabeth stuck to her point until one day lizzie came home with a tale about temple college she had heard it was very cheap you could go for ten cents a night or something like that things that were ten cents appealed to her she was used to bargain counters she heard it was quite respectable to go there and they had classes in the evening you could study gymnastics and it would make you graceful she wanted to be graceful and she heard they had a course in millinery if it was so she believed she would go herself and learn to make the new kind of bows they were having on hats this winter she could not seem to get the right twist to the ribbon elizabeth wanted to study geography at least that was the study lizzie said would tell her where the desert of sahara was she wanted to know things all kinds of things but lizzie said such things were only for children and she didn't believe they taught such baby studies in a college but she would inquire it was silly of bessie to want to know she thought and she was half ashamed to ask but she would find out it was about this time that elizabeth's life at the store grew intolerable one morning it was little more than a week before christmas elizabeth had been sent to the cellar to get seven little red tin pails and shovels for a woman who wanted them for christmas gifts for some sunday school class she had just counted out the requisite number and turned to go upstairs when she heard someone step near her and as she looked up in the dim light there stood the manager at last i've got you alone bessie my dear he said it with suave triumph in his tones he caught elizabeth by the wrists and before she could wrench herself away he had kissed her with a scream elizabeth dropped the seven tin pails and the seven tin shovels and with one mighty wrench took her hands from his grasp instinctively her hand went to her belt where were now no pistols if one had been there she certainly would have shot him in her horror and fury but as she had no other weapon she seized a little shovel and struck him in the face then with the frenzy of the desert back upon her she rushed up the stairs out through the crowded store and into the street 
hatless and coatless in the cold December air. The passers-by made way for her, thinking she had been sent out on some hurried errand. She had left her pocketbook, with its pitifully few nickels for car fare and lunch, in the cloakroom with her coat and hat. But she did not stop to think of that. She was fleeing again, this time on foot, from a man. She half expected he might pursue her and make her come back to the hated work in the stifling store, with his wicked face moving everywhere above the crowds. But she turned not to look back. On over the slushy pavements, under the leaden sky, with a few busy flakes floating about her. The day seemed pitiless as the world. Where could she go, and what should she do? There seemed no refuge for her in the wide world. Instinctively, she felt her grandmother would feel that a calamity had befallen them in losing the patronage of the manager of the ten-cent store. Perhaps Lizzie would get into trouble. What should she do? She had reached the corner where she and Lizzie usually took the car for home. The car was coming now, but she had no hat nor coat and no money to pay for a ride. She must walk. She paused not, but fled on in a steady run, for which her years on the mountain had given her breath. Three miles it was to Flora Street, and she scarcely slackened her pace after she had settled into that steady half-run, half-walk. Only at the corner of Flora Street she paused, and allowed herself to glance back once. No, the manager had not pursued her. She was safe. She might go in and tell her grandmother without fearing he would come behind her as soon as her back was turned. End of chapter 11